Good morning, my name is Kristen. This morning's Bible reading starts at Mark chapter 15 verse 42 to Mark 16 verse 8. It was preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb when, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Michael and I'm one of the ministry trainees here at Trinity Church Woodcroft. Uh, it's lovely to be here with you all this Easter Sunday morning. As you're tuning into this, maybe you're sitting down uh, with some hot cross buns, or if you got up nice and early, maybe you've had an Easter egg hunt and you're getting stuck into some delicious Easter eggs you found around the house. Easter egg hunts, they're great fun, aren't they? Well, they're so much fun that the film industry has kind of picked up on this idea. In films and video games, uh, an Easter egg is a hidden reference a clue or an inside joke has been secretly placed into the film or the video game. Here's an example from Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark. In this scene, Indy is just about to slide the cover off the top of the Ark of the Covenant, so see if you can spot the hidden Easter egg in this scene. Did you spot it? One of the hieroglyphs behind Indy is of R2-D2 and C-3PO from Star Wars. Both the Indiana Jones and Star Wars franchises are directed by George Lucas, and this little Easter egg is a tribute to that fact. Well, both chocolate Easter eggs and film Easter eggs, they're great fun. Spoilers, on the other hand, are the complete opposite. They ruin the ending before you get there. And at Trinity Church Woodcroft, we've been going through Mark's gospel for a number of weeks, and today, we reach the very end of Mark. But if you've been paying attention, you'll already know what's going to happen, as there's been spoilers all the way through. 
And I've also given you a few spoilers of what's coming up in this talk. If you look at the notes tab on the side of the screen, you'll see the three main points that I'll be speaking to today. Firstly, that this is the end. Secondly, actually, no, this is not the end. And thirdly, why the resurrection is so significant. So my first point for today is that this is the end. We see this in the first section of today's reading, Mark chapter 15, verse 42 to 47. This section, it reads a bit like a news report. Loads of facts presented one after the other. So first, there is the when. It's the day of preparation. That is the day before the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath occurs on a Saturday, which means that this event takes place on a Friday. Next, we have the who. It's Joseph of Arimathea. Now, he's a new character in Mark's account, so we're given some more details to introduce him. Firstly, he's from Arimathea, which we know from Luke's gospel is a Judean town. So he's from the local area. Secondly, he's a respected member of the council. He has an elevated status within society. And further details are added to confirm Joseph of Arimathea's elevated status within society. With the aid of some courage, he's able to present before the governor Pilate and make a case for Jesus' body. Now, a regular member of society would not be able to approach the governor in such a way. And furthermore, he is wealthy enough to possess a tomb carved into the rock, which he intends to use as the burial site. So we have the when and then the who. Now we get to the what. Joseph of Arimathea, he approaches Pilate and asks for the body of Jesus so that he may bury him. Now, it's sensible and uh, good practice. If you're going to bury someone, you're absolutely certain that the person is dead, right? So Pilate summons a centurion to provide confirmation that Jesus is in fact dead. Now let's take a step back for a moment and consider that these are very important details that Mark is recording here. Just like Pilate wanted to be sure, Mark also wants his readers to be sure that Jesus was dead he wasn't asleep or paralysed or any other explanation that might make coming back to life easier to explain. No, nothing like that. After all, the Romans were quite proficient at this kind of thing. You don't get to be a superpower in the ancient world without having some mastery in this area. So we can be 100% certain that Jesus was dead. And when Pilate is 100% certain of this fact, he grants permission to Joseph to bury Jesus. Who? When? What? Next in the news report is the where. Joseph takes Jesus' body, quickly wraps it in linen, and places his body into a tomb that has been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone, later we're told it's a very large stone, across the entrance of the tomb. And the final piece of the news report are the witnesses, a pair of Marys, 
who see where Jesus' body is buried. So there you have it, the brief news report, full of quick-fire facts, providing information on the when, who, what, where, and the witnesses to Jesus' burial. And you might suspect that this is the end of the news bulletin. There's no more information to report. The star character of the whole series is now dead and buried. Surely this is the end of the story. Well, spoiler alert, this is not the end of the story. I mentioned earlier there's been spoilers all the way through as we've journeyed through Mark's Gospel. Three times in Mark, in chapter 8, chapter 9, and again in chapter 10, Jesus predicts ahead of time that he will suffer terribly, check, he will die, check, and after three days, he will rise again. So what do you reckon will happen next? Sorry if you were hoping for a hidden Easter egg at this point in the story. The spoilers have been there all the way through. And this leads to my second point, which is, this is not the end. Now looking at Mark chapter 16, verse 1 uh, to 8, Mark continues on in his quick fire, get to the facts, news reporter style of narration. Once again, he starts off with the when. It's now the day after the Sabbath, the first day of the week, a Sunday. Next is the who. It's the same two Marys who are witnesses to Jesus' burial, plus Salome, who if we go back to chapter 15, verse 40, we see that she was witness to Jesus' crucifixion. Following this is the what. These three women are going to anoint Jesus' body with spices. As we heard on Friday, Jesus' death was truly gruesome. His body would have been in a terrible state following his horrific death. And we read earlier towards the end of chapter 15 that Joseph had managed to kind of wrap his body quickly in linen prior to the burial. But this all had to be done in haste prior to sundown and the arrival of the Sabbath. And it's now a couple of days later and the women are heading back to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body with spices. Now, embalming the body in this manner was a mark of respect for the individual in the ancient world, and it's especially significant in this instance, given the humiliating nature of his death. So, once again, we have the when, the who, and the what in the news report, but now there's a twist. The three women arrive at the tomb, and what they discover has them in total shock. The spoiler alerts that have been popping up all over the place, they clearly haven't sunken in. And the women are shocked for two reasons. Firstly, given they were heading there with all these spices ready to anoint Jesus' dead body, uh, they were clearly expecting his body to still be in the tomb, and it's not. And secondly, in place of the large, heavy stone they expected to find guarding the entrance to the tomb? Well, they find a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. 
And this young man, dressed in white, he's got a message for the women. We read in verse 6 and 7. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Now I want to draw your attention to the wonderful transition in tense that occurs here. It starts off in the past tense. The messenger says, You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. Was crucified. That's in the past tense. That happened two days ago. Continuing next, he says, He has risen. A few short words, but loaded with significance. And once again, this too, wonderfully, is in the past tense. It has happened already prior to the arrival of the women at the tomb. Now, the transition to the present tense. He is not here. The language here, it communicates something that is in progress or ongoing. It's happening right that very moment. He is not here right now. So where is he? In verse 7, he is going before you to Galilee. And just as the messenger has transitioned from past to present tense, there's also another transition to future tense. In Galilee, there you will see him. Now I wanted to highlight this transition from past to present to future because Mark's gospel finishes in quite an unusual fashion. Having seen this messenger dressed in white, and heard the message of the risen Jesus, the women are astonished, and they're afraid, and they flee the tomb. And that's it. Mark's fast and furious gospel comes to a fast and furiously abrupt ending. Now just a note on the extended ending in Mark, verses 9 to 20 of chapter 16. Now depending what translation Bible you have, uh, these verses, if they're present, are likely separated with a note indicating that these verses are not in the earliest manuscripts. Almost certainly these verses were not written by Mark himself, but added by the earlier Christians kind of round off the book. But that's why for today's reading we just read up to the end of verse 8. And theories abound as to why Mark's gospel ends so abruptly. Has a portion been lost? Did Mark die before he completed his work? Who's to say? But the most likely outcome is that this abrupt ending is by design. By concluding the book in such an open-ended manner, we see that the story is not finished. He has risen and he is not here. But this is not the end. The Easter eggs and the spoilers were present all throughout the book. This should be no great surprise. This is not the end. And it's not just a story about the past. It's a story that's still taking place in the present and has implications for the future. 
So if it's a story that's still taking place in the present and has implications for the future, what implications does it have for us right here and right now? Let me suggest a few reasons why the resurrection is so significant and why it has implications both for the present and for the future. Now the first reason why the resurrection of Jesus is so significant is that there is a new, undefeated champion. Since Adam and Eve were expelled from the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3, thereby losing access to the Tree of Life, death has reigned supreme as the undisputed, undefeated champion. Now some of you may know Floyd Mayweather. He's an American professional boxer. And in his professional boxing career, he fought 50 times and walked away with 50 victories, zero defeats, undefeated champion. But Mayweather's record, as impressive as it is, doesn't hold a candle to death's record. Death takes on all comers. And once it gets you down on the canvas, well, you don't get back up. Now, you might feel a bit upset or a bit depressed by that. Uh, We don't really like talking about death in the Western world. We'd rather kind of ignore it, push it to the side. After all, it's a nasty, unpleasant beast. And it terrifies us when we actually have to confront it. Recent times and events have brought mortality and death into our collective attention, though. And we've seen things that normally provide us with security fall away, and a great sense of insecurity has arisen. And we've all been confronted with how little control we actually have in this world. Mortality, insecurity, lack of control. No wonder there's been some panic as a result. And in response, we've seen stockpiling of toilet paper, hand sanitizer, pasta, rice, flour, you know, you name it. As if by having these things, we're back in control. We don't have to worry about death anymore. But these things, they don't really provide us any control or any security, do they? And this is why Jesus' resurrection is so significant. It's the good news that this nasty, unpleasant beast this undisputed, undefeated champion, took on an opponent that it could not defeat. He has risen. I said earlier that these are a few short words that are loaded with significance. And I hope you see why now. Death has been defeated. Death has lost the championship belt. The resurrected Jesus reigns supreme as the undisputed, undefeated champion. Now, I don't know what circumstances uh, each of you are in today. Maybe this is your first time watching a church service. Well, welcome if it is. Maybe you used to go to church regularly, but you've stopped for a while. Uh, Now you're thinking about reconnecting. Uh, Maybe you come along to church every week. Whatever the case may be, I'm glad you could join in today 
And the question for each of us to consider is, whose corner do you want to be in? The corner of the undisputed, undefeated champion Jesus? Or do you want to have a crack and go toe-to-toe with the big, nasty beast of death on your own? This is a question for all of us to consider. And maybe today is the first time you've had to consider a question like this and how to respond to it. As for me, I want to be in the corner of the champion. And if you do too, the book of Romans, it gives us some really clear instructions on how to make this happen. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, there it says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never done that before, can I encourage you to do that today? There has never been a better time than now to put your trust in the resurrected Jesus. And if you have done that, that's truly wonderful news, worth celebrating please leave a comment or send us an email so we can celebrate with you. And for those of you who have said those words long ago and many times since, may you be filled with joy and with thankfulness this Easter Sunday as you remember what Jesus has done for you. But as we saw earlier, the story of the resurrection is not the end. The three women are told to go and to tell the disciples and Peter what they have seen and what they have heard. Although it's not recorded for us here in Mark, we know that from the end of John's Gospel that Peter does meet the resurrected Jesus, and Peter is commissioned to take over from the Good Shepherd Jesus, to feed and to tend to the sheep, meaning the people of God. And as Peter's life went on, the people of God became dispersed through the ancient world, or being dispersed all over the place. Sounds familiar at the moment, doesn't it? And writing to these dispersed people, Peter says in the letter of 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. There are two implications of the resurrection that I want to draw out for you from this text. Firstly, we can have living hope. Not wishful, wouldn't it be great if this kind of happened hope, but secure, certain living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This living hope shapes uh, how we can live here and now. This living hope, it provides certainty and security. For just as certainly as death was not the end for Jesus, so too will death not be the end for those who put their trust in Jesus. It's why Christians can face these times of extreme uncertainty and insecurity with a confidence that you can't find anywhere else. So firstly, we can have living hope right here and right now. And secondly, 
we have a heavenly inheritance. Because, of course, that living hope is looking forward to something. It's looking forward to a future. And you can see it there in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. A future inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade, because it is kept in heaven, ready for you. Right now, these are tough times that we're in. You know, a time when it seems that so many things in our, in our society and in our lives are at risk of perishing, spoiling, or fading. But to know that, to know that there, there is an imperishable future inheritance for those who confess that Jesus is Lord with their mouths and believe that Jesus is risen from the dead, well, that truly is good news worth celebrating and worth sharing with others. So this Easter Sunday, may this news report at the end of Mark's Gospel fill you with joy and thankfulness as you read and hear those three short words loaded with significance. He has risen. And may you put your trust in the undisputed, undefeated champion Jesus. And as you put your trust in him, may you be filled with a living hope, one of security and of certainty, knowing that you have a heavenly inheritance awaiting you that can never perish, spoil or fade. He has risen. Thanks and praise be to God. Amen.